Welcome to To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Each week, join Petko Stoyanov and Rachel Lyon to explore the latest in global cybersecurity news, trending topics, and industry transformation initiatives impacting governments, enterprises, and our way of life. Now, let's get to the point. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of To The Point Podcast. I'm Rachel Lyon, here with my co-host, Pekko Stoinov. Pekko, welcome back from your California travels. Thanks, Rachel. It's uh, it's great to, you know, leave snow and come home to 80-degree weather. <laughs> oh, wait, that, I'm on the East Coast now, so maybe it should be the other way around. Either way, weather is unique here and, uh, and just like everywhere, so... Yeah. And I think we have a unique guest today that's going to give us a unique perspective. Oh, nice segue. Yes. Yeah. So please welcome back to the podcast, Maria Rote. She's founder of MA Rote Consulting and a former U.S. Deputy Federal Chief Information Officer. Maria, welcome back. Oh, thank you so much, Rachel and Petco. So happy to be here. You know, last time we caught up, I mean, we were just... Unfortunately, we had a, a hard stop and we couldn't keep talking. So there was so much more that we wanted to talk with you about. And so I'm so glad, glad you're back joining us and um, would love, love, love to really dive in a bit more on our conversation around, um, you know, really cybersecurity and STEM and, and bringing folks into the industry. And, you know, I was, I was just reading this article uh, with you, it's a Q&A, an acceleration economy. And one of the what I loved what you said was I tell people to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. It's okay not to know everything. Like, I feel like that's a wonderful setup into having this conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's my, it's my uh, tagline, if you will. Um, I use that all the time because, you know, when you, when you talk to women and others in different fields, um, you know, I've had about every job in tech that you could have, and I tell I tell people, look, get, it's okay to be uncomfortable and take on jobs where you don't know everything. If you know 10%, great, you know something, but you're not going to walk into a job and know everything. And I think that's the part of, of, of you know, telling people to get comfortable being uncomfortable and and part of that is taking risks, right? Whether it's your career and your job or doing, you know, whatever it is that you're doing. Part of that being uncomfortable is when you take risks, you're going to be uncomfortable. And, you know, you plan for the worst, hope for the best and and move on. Exactly. And I, I wonder if, you know, do you think that there's an intimidation factor maybe as it relates to kind of, you know, the STEM? I was looking at some of these Stats. It was uh, AAUW, so it was the uh, American Association of University Women, and they had 16.5% of women are in engineering and architect roles, which I thought 16% still today? I mean, that just seems incredibly low. Is it? Um, why? I, you know, <laughs> it, that's interesting because, you know, when I, it, 16% isn't a lot. Um, no. It really isn't. You want, you know, you want much, much more than that in just more broadly in STEM fields. And um, it's interesting when you go back, when I first started working in, in tech, you know, data processing way back when, there were a lot of women and they were operators. But as, a, as you know, moving forward and moving into the late 80s and into the 90s when PCs and networking and all that were coming around, all these women that, that I had worked with in operations, they were all retiring 
and and the replacements weren't coming in, right? And and this is where I ended up oftentimes by myself. But that sixteen percent today, you know, fast forward to today, having sixteen point five percent in engineering and architecture, I I really scratch my head at that and say, why why aren't there more women that are right. out there, right? You know, you see this big cycle coming through and it's like, why aren't there more women working in engineering and architecture? It's just fascinating. The field is fascinating to me. And when I see the numbers, it's disappointing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Pekka, do you have perspective, perhaps? I mean, you've got a technical background and what, what have you kind of observed? If only we could hear you, Pekko, though. <laughs> I, I think you're on mute. <laughs> to click the button so no it, it, i think back in my career uh, in when i was in school even and i do remember like hearing statistics that there's more women graduating with college degrees than men right but yet i reflect on like my engineering classes it was like one out of 10 maybe or one out of 20 that were you know doing the st- doing traditional stem degrees but i still wonder given how high of a degree we have in how many people are actually graduating? How many women we have graduating with college degrees? We definitely should have more than 16%. You know, it's, it's, it is interesting, but I think we definitely need more in the STEM specifically um, because not many, I think not many, I mean, I'm reflecting even my kids who I've got girls and it's some of them are not, you know, not open to some of the traditional STEM like math and everything else. And they're more interested in different types of arts. So it's some, and maybe as a parent, I kind of look at it and say, well, I don't want to force them into engineering. I want to let them kind of find their own career or maybe I should do, maybe I should force them. I don't know. <laughs> you tell me, please, you, you guys educate me as a father of girls. What should I be doing? You know what? I am a mother of three daughters and I'll share with you in this, this STEM conversation, two of my daughters. So one of them She's um, she got her master's in neuroscience. And right now she's in PA school, physician, physician's assistant school. Great. So she'll you know, she's going through the program and she'll start her residency stuff later in the summer. But when you think about it, my other one, my oldest daughter, she's never she's not a college graduate. She's been to school. She does um, uh, massage therapy. But with the classes she's taken and her understanding of herbs and medicine and stuff like that, she knows more about the body and the workings because she's not doing massages that, you know, I need a massage for the day, you know, to relax. She's doing it for more like physical therapy or chiropractic type, right? She's doing those kind of massages. And when I think about her, she's, she's in that STEM field, but she doesn't have a college degree. Um, and again, she knows more about the body and the muscles and the ligaments and, and she's also knows about, you know, medicines and herbal medicines and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, that's, that's the sciences piece of it. And, um, and how do you capture that population as part of the STEM? Because these folks aren't just, you know, giving a massage. They are, she's very technical. Exactly. Um, Exactly. She is. She's very technical and she, she knows more about the body than, than it's just incredible. Well, that's, do you think it's some of it's the, um, maybe how we categorize or characterize certain, does it, do people even think that there's the soft skills that are attributable to STEM? I mean, does she think about that at all as 
being within that realm or not at still all kind of have these walls up. Right. right. Yeah. Not at all. She just, she just, she doesn't think in that way. And I kind of, I guess a couple of years ago is when I had that aha moment that said, wow, you know, really what she's doing, she's, she's an outlier. Maybe when you look at the curve, she's probably an outlier, but how many of those are there out there that we're not really counting when we think about traditional STEM or cybersecurity or engineering or those kind of fields, or even like my other daughter who's in, in PA school, right. And formal education, you know, and she's all very much hands-on. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's fascinating. That is fascinating because I do think about like, I was actually in the engineering classes, but yet I know there's so many women that do other sciences, biology and others that are still doing sciences. But we, when we start comparing cybersecurity we get stuck on engineering and we don't actually say, well, hold on. Cybersecurity includes a lot more than just engineers. And right. maybe Rich, you got a point is we're not counting folks correctly or quantifying it. Maybe we're overcounting yeah. by just double counting others. I don't know. Uh, yeah. I don't know that there's a good answer to it, but I think, yeah. you know, having her in the family, you know, you talked about having daughters, you know, you've got this one and uh, it's, it's just interesting um, from that perspective that she's not counted as part of the STEM community. I wonder, is it like earlier education, Maria? I mean, if we were to start bringing this into school curriculum at elementary or is, is it something related to that to kind of start changing views or attitudes of what are traditional, you know, I guess uh, occupations versus the art of the possible today, which is quite wide open. Yeah, it, it, it is wide open. And I think, you know, whether it's, you know, talking to high school um, students, right? Here's what's in the realm of possible. You might be a horrible high school student, right? You could be a horrible and, and a non-traditional. And, and I say that because the high schools are very formal and very traditional learning. If you are a non-traditional learner, like my oldest daughter, who's very hands-on and learns differently, you need to recognize that. And how do you nurture um, people, you know, students in high school who are non-traditional learners that are very much hands-on um, that that don't always follow that formal education, right? She struggled in high school because of the, the structure and the rigidity. Mm-hmm. Yet when she went out on her own, she's doing very well and that whole biology piece of it. So, so in high school, you know, thinking about those non-traditional um, those non-traditional learners and how do you bring that in? And I think some of the um, technical education that, that many of the States have for high school students um, where they do have like hands-on architecture, you know, um, traditionally it's been, you know, auto mechanics and cosmetology and there's been many, many things like that, but there's also um, many schools have, you know, coding classes and programming or networking and things like that. And some of those are much more practical than the traditional um, learning sense in a classroom for those that are non-traditional learners. And I think to the extent, you know, high school students, maybe they could take advantage of that or you could share that information, you know, from a guidance counselor perspective, you know. But how do you queue up that somebody's non-traditional just because they're failing their classes all the time, right? How do you narrow in on that? Right, right. Maria, you've got an interesting point there because I do think, like, universities – like at least when you do engineering, the first two years are kind of known as weed out classes <laughs> and right. they're all, they're always theory based and you don't get to the practical until year three and four. So you end up automatically saying, well, this isn't for me in year one and two. So folks who are hands-on who want to just go learn 
learn and do versus just theoretical, you know? Right. It, yeah. Maybe. And that's, and that's, and to follow on that, you know, if you, if you look at what I did in my career, everything I did was hands-on, right? Mm-hmm. I was on the 25-year plan to get my college degree. <laughs> now, I had a lot of aptitude in math, in science, and I had developed an interest in computers. But if you look at everything I did when I joined the Navy, it was all hands-on operations, networking, moving into, you know, network engineering, just continuing to move. And everything I did was hands-on. And I did get my degree and it took me 25 years from start to finish. But when I, when I did the last eight classes, I was like, oh, easy peasy, because I've got all this hands-on experience and I could blow through the, some of the policy and, you know, some of those more formal um, learning, like you said, the first two years um, of college. So I blew through those pretty quickly because I had all this hands-on and, and thinking differently about that, you know, um, I think we've talked about veterans before, right? Talk about tons of hands-on experience with veterans. Now the military does pay for a lot of education, right? Send people to schools and things like that. But looking at, at veterans and having that ability um, for a lot of the hands-on, you can't, um, that is just so valuable. Absolutely. And, you know, I do want to kind of point to, I mean, your, your time in the government, and I, I look at kind of across the government today and, and all the female leaders in these technology roles, right? A chief information officer or, you know, CXO, whatever. And I feel like in some ways the government's leading the way a bit here uh, on, on the art of the possible, right? And, and getting more female leaders in STEM. And, you know, I think that's kind of the first part, right? To kind of get yep. more people interested. Yeah. And, and if, if you go back probably about, what, about six years, five or six years, um, the federal CIOs in government, almost half of them were women. Um, and I'm seeing a lot of women coming up through the ranks in federal government. And so there's a lot of women that are deputies. Um, I, don't, I don't know how many are CTOs right now, um, but there were uh, quite a few CTOs uh, that were women. Um, but you're, you're seeing more and more of that. And chief information security officers, CISOs, right? So you've got a lot of, you know, technical expertise and, and you know, the federal government gives you the opportunities on this because, you know, um, being able to advance and get into these positions if you want to and, and to go after and, and chase them down and, and apply for them and go get those jobs. So in the federal, and when you think about it, people, you know, I know there's a lot of bashing in the federal government, but when you look at the federal government and how much the government leans in on technology, you just don't hear about it. A lot of times you hear about the bad stuff in tech, but there is so much good stuff going on, right? Um, For example, uh, you know, at NASA, they did, um, it took, I think, 130 hours of inspecting an astronaut's glove to make sure of all the data right? 130 hours to expect, inspect the data. Wow. Wow. People were doing all of this. Well, they took the data and took on an initiative and put it up in the cloud. And it, it took less than five seconds to, to inspect the data. And this is, this is real world application. These are astronauts that are going in space, right? So they put it up in the cloud, leveraged AI, put all that together and it took less than five seconds, which allows for those experts to focus in on, on other things, right? They're not going to lose their jobs. They're going to focus in on other things, but that's that's where the federal government's really leaning in um, and, and, you know, really driving in on the mission. You see it across 
zero trust capabilities across the federal government. Tell me who in industry is doing all of that, right? The executive order came out a couple of years ago, right? The federal government is going to do this thing and they're going on a zero trust journey, right? It's not a one and done thing. It's a multi-year initiative and continuing to build it in, right? And, and building in, you know, security from the very beginning. And what, there are so many women out there that are a part of this. And part of that federal government's mission is in supporting it is really leaning in on tech. And you just don't hear the good stories around that. Right. Yeah. So try to think of how do we, how do we open the door wider, Maria? I mean, it's, I think um, when you were here last time, you were talking about, I mean, you, there's such a great connection with, with all of the federal CI, CXO leaders, um, you know, particularly the, the women. And, um, you know, a lot of people as they exit, you know, be it the military or government, and they're trying to figure out how to navigate the industry. I mean, how do you, what advice do you give them on how to, to move out of these very structured roles into what could be the wild west for some? Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> Wow. Um, that's a, that's a great question because when you're coming out of the military, very structured and all that, you know, um, a lot of things that people bring to the table that they really don't highlight is some of their soft skills. Um, when you, when you think about all the soft skills that people learn, right. If you're, you're how to be a part of a team, right. Anybody in the military, right. They know how to be a part of a team. Right. And, and so looking for those and really touting those, those soft skills, um, presentations, talking to people, being able to do the outreach, right? Um, not it might not be public speaking, but it might be you know the ability to do, you know have presentations, and you know knowing when to reach out to people, the collaboration and all of that. And I think um, people need to lean in on those soft skills too, not just their technical skills as they're moving you know, in and out of government or as a veteran leaving the service, you know, or, you know, moving into industry, really pay attention to those soft skills because they bring so much to the table. I know I, um, when I reviewed resumes um, of veterans in particular, I knew that, you know, anybody who was a veteran, every time they got promoted, they went to a leadership class, right? Oh, um, is commensurate with their grade. They went to a leadership class. So even if you were junior, you went to some kind of leadership class. Um, and as you got more senior, you know, it was much more executive leadership and those kind of programs. And, and knowing that when I, I paid attention to resumes that had veterans experience in it, because as a veteran, I knew what they were bringing to the table in terms of the soft skills, the leadership and oftentimes, sometimes they might have been, you know, pick a job that has nothing to do with tech or cybersecurity, but they had the potential, the aptitude. So when you start talking to them, the, the potential and the aptitude's there. And I think people forget that, that, that capability's there. I have um, a friend of mine's um, son, I've known him since he was a baby, and he, um, he's getting out of the army right now. And he's a drone pilot. He is a qualified drone pilot. He has his wings, right? All the qualification. The army has spent tens of thousands of thousands of dollars on him. He's been deployed. He's been in, you know, overseas in Afghanistan. And, and this is the UAVs, the big ones that he's flying. So here he is getting out of the army. And, and while he's got all of these skill sets around, you know, the UAVs, you know, he would like to get into the cybersecurity field. 
Um, but how do you take the capabilities, you know, um, that he has with the drones in teaching because he's, you know, teaching others, more junior people? How do you, how do you translate that into an industry job? And I've been working with him on that. Um, and about a week ago, he said, well, so far, all I can find is a help desk job. And I'm like, oh, my God, you've got almost six years, about six years experience flying drones and, and you're going to take on a help desk job. I'm like, where are the people who need the drones, you know, <laughs> the, 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 the flies. So, you know, and I get, so this is, you know, firsthand some of Maria, the struggles. Just to, just to share, in industry, we don't have many drones. I don't have a drone <laughs> that I fly regularly, um, but I know, you know. <laughs> yeah, but you've got, you know, folks who do inspections. Think about the power companies. Yes. They're using drones to inspect their power lines, right? Um, you've got Department of Labor with OSHA. They're out there all the time. You've got uh, it, just industries all over the place that are that are driving. They're flying drones. Even yeah, TV. absolutely. I, I was just trying. Yeah. To, uh, I, yeah. I, I will tell you though, having worked with UAVs before, I think it is. You know, you do get that mission side and that. And some of those individuals that fly those UAVs are literally doing it for 12, 15 hours straight. They're not. You know, mm-hmm. and if you can imagine being in front of a screen focused. Because if you're not, you literally could crash an airplane for 12 hours. I don't think many of us could do that, you know? Uh, well, I so, don't know. I think for him, I think it comes from all his video gaming in high school. <laughs> <laughs> but there is definitely some valuable skill sets there. Um, you know, having the mission experience, I think, is is one of those areas that people underestimate and they focus on the technical. I do want to share yeah. something. We were talking about women earlier in CISOs. I, I think back of all the CISOs I've worked with. and what I kind of found is you kind of always mentally put things in two buckets. You have the technical CISO who gets really technical and focused on just the technical side. And then you have like the business side CISOs who says, well, what's the outcome we're trying to achieve? What, you know, I don't want to get, I don't want to tell you what to go use. I'm not going to tell you, go use Linux, Mac, Windows. I want this outcome. You figure out what's the best solution. And I'll tell you, looking back on it, I think I found more women lined up with the outcome focus than men. Men get stuck in the weeds, but the women say, look, I want this outcome. You figure out how to get, get me there. Yep. And they're very good about focusing on what's important. You know, yeah. and I think we, we forget about the outcome focus. We get stuck in the, oh, he flies an airplane. How does that translate technically? But yet the outcome is, you know, he saved lives. He has amazing focus. You know, he's able to lead others to do the same thing and execute and complete tasks, which is extremely important. Great point, Petco. And honestly, I can't think of a better place for us to insert a cliffhanger in today's podcast. I'm having so much fun speaking with Maria Rode. I know you are too, Petco. Let's make this a two-part conversation. So to all our listeners out there, be sure to join us next Tuesday as we catch up again with Maria Rode, because this is just too much fun. So until next week, please be safe. Thanks for joining us for the To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast, brought to you by Forcepoint. For more information and show notes from today's episode, please visit forcepoint.com slash govpodcast. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify, or Stitcher. 